Hello and welcome to episode 88 of Gutter to Gutter Podcast. In this episode, I'm joined by Brendan Turnbull. Brendan owns Rise Up Restorations, a car restoration company operating out of Corowa in New South Wales. In this episode, we got to learn where Brendan grew up and what he enjoyed doing as a kid. We got to hear how he signed himself out of school and started in a panel shop and built himself up to a point where he felt comfortable enough to open his own business after a lot of pressure from colleagues. Brendan told us how daunting it was to kick the business off and the help he had along the way to ease the pressure of buying good quality gear to begin with. It was really cool to sit down and hear Brendan's story and learn how he made the changes in his career to be able to work on the cars and projects that he loves and is truly passionate about. So please enjoy this episode with Brendan Turnbull of Rise Up Restorations on Gutter to Gutter Podcast. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Gutter to Gutter Podcast. I'm Static, and in this episode I'm joined by Brendan Turnbull of Rise Up Restorations. Brendan, how are you, mate? Good, how are you going? Good, thank you, mate. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. Not a problem at all, mate. We'll start off with a um, a brief introduction of, of who you are and what you do, I guess. Yep. Um, my name's Brendan Turnbull, and I've got Rise Up Restorations. Um. Yeah, I'm a spray painter cross panel beater and I like to make cars shiny. <laughs> no. <laughs> so whereabouts are you from, dude? Um from Corowa. Corowa. Um I haven't always lived here lived here. I was born in Canberra, then grew up some time in Albury and then moved to Corowa once I started spray painting and yeah, now that's where I built the shop and been here probably sixteen years now and Oh wow! Yeah, everything's going well. Nice man. So you you did you grow up in Canberra? Um, about about six years old, we moved to Albury. Yep. And then once I was about sixteen, that's when um, Mum started seeing a guy from Corowa, and at that stage, I was just ready to quit school. Actually, I did quit school. I um told the teachers I. I was going to, going to TAFE, and um, yep. they let me sign myself out. I didn't need parents' signature, oh, so I signed right? myself out. I got home from school that afternoon and said, "Mum, I don't go to school anymore." Oh wow! And she's like, "Well, you better get a you better get a real job, otherwise, I'm sending you straight back." So, um, <laughs> two weeks later, I, I'm a spray painter. <laughs> yeah, nice. I um, I had that choice when I was in school. It was, but it, it was. You're not leaving school until you've got a job. So it was either I finished year 12 and it ended with nothing. Yep. Or I had a job and I could leave as soon as I had a job. So I left when I was 17. Yep. Um, now, I I had two choices, essentially. One I was going for was, funnily enough, panel beater spray painter. Yeah, right. And that's what I wanted to do. But Lucky you didn't do that. <laughs> the, one I, the one I ended up choosing was electrician, so... Yeah, good um, move. I just saw, I don't know, at that age, I guess I saw more of a future and wasn't so much more of a future. It was more of a backup plan, if that yep. makes sense. Like, 
I figured if I got that trade behind me, everybody's going to need one, right? Yeah, that's it. I can sort of move around later in life and, and try other things that I want to try, but I kind of then trapped myself yeah. for the last 20 odd years. So it's funny. Good. I didn't, I, um, I didn't really plan on being a spray painter. I was actually, I had no plans at all. I just wanted to leave school because all my mates were. Yeah. Um, and I, I quit school, signed out of school, and um, I was like, right, I liked woodwork when I was at school. Maybe I'll try and do something with wood. I was like, maybe I'll just be a chippy. And then, um, so my stepdad now, he, he said, um, I've got a friend in Coroa with a panel shop if you want to do some work experience there. I'm like, what's a panel shop? I was pretty naive at the age of 16. I didn't know what a panel shop was. And he's like, oh, they just fix cars. I was like, oh, okay, I'll try that. Um, yeah, rang, gave him a call and started my work experience there and just never left. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. Were you into cars at all at the time? I was, yeah. Okay. Um, I was just naturally into cars ever since I was real young. Um, yeah, just toys were cars. Um, what else? I liked, I was right into my drawing when I was young and I would always just draw cars and I would draw like a 2D sort of side profile view of a car and I'd start off with the wheels and the body and then I'd add a body kit, I'd add a spoiler, I'd add like a bonnet scoop, a cannon style exhaust with flames coming out of it. I just liked like uh, modifying cars in my drawings. Yep. Um, but yeah, just obsessed with cars, had toy cars, all the Hot Wheels stuff I wanted and yeah. Yeah, nice. I didn't I didn't know it could have been something to do with I didn't know I could make money out of cars. Yeah, got it. Yeah. With um with your your drawing and all that sort of gear, is is airbrushing or anything like that something you sort of looked into or um not really. Like I am interested in all that stuff, but I'm I haven't really had the time to pursue it. Um I wouldn't mind having a crack at all the like the the pinstriping and different layers and candies and flakes and stuff, but I, this day and age, I just don't have the time to put into that now. I'm just right. just doing the resprays and the restoration work. Yeah. Um, yeah. Nice. So, uh, what kind of mischief did you get up to in Albury? Um, oh, fair bit. <laughs> <laughs> um, I can't really think of an exact sort of thing, but oh, here's one thing: when I was quite young. Maybe, maybe around ten years old. I didn't really have. I I grew up with um, a single mum. Yeah. Um, it wasn't until she met my stepdad when I was sixteen, but from then up to the age of sixteen, like I had a single mum, and she wasn't very strict. She um she sort of let me go out and do whatever I wanted. She let me leave the house and just walk around the streets with my mates at like the age of ten or whatever. Um, we used to knock off school, primary school, or it might have been high school. But um, this sounds bad, but we go play on the train tracks, and it was <laughs> it was one of those um, we call it called it the canyons because it was like a hill, yeah, massive hill, and they'd, they'd cut straight through the middle of the hill for the train tracks. So it was like a canyon. You'd had to climb down these this rocky sort of wall to get down to the train tracks, and we go down there and let firecrackers off and pull out the old train track bolts out of the railway and. <laughs> We were pretty pretty stupid, but at one stage we were f- throwing those bolts at the train. Was it when it was coming past? So <laughs> I suppose that's mischief. <laughs> yeah. 
So if there's any, uh, if there was any de- derailments in Albury around that time, yeah, don't go nothing to do with me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, nice man. Um, did you get into any sports at all, sort of growing up? Um, sort of. I dabbled in a bit of soccer and a um, little bit of Oz kick when I was really young, but I wasn't actually. Sport wasn't really for me. I was more of one of those kids that was like into skateboarding, yep. um, you know, that sort of stuff that wasn't like your typical sports. Um, yeah, I just, I don't know. I was a bit of a insecure, shy sort of kid growing up and yeah. I didn't really find my confidence until early 20s really. So I, I wasn't really into sports. I just Ooh. liked my... I was um, a bit the same. Like I, um, I, I played baseball as yep. a teenager. Um, yep. sort of yeah, early high school years. I, I, I played T-ball as well when I was much younger. Um, <clears throat> kind of came up with it, but out, outside of that, I kind of started to get into um, BMX racing. Yeah, right. I always wanted to do. And um, for whatever reason, I don't know what it was, but my parents weren't really that into it. They're like, uh, <laughs> they kind of wanted to support it, but at the same time, they didn't really. And They're probably scared you're going to break your neck. Probably. Yeah, but I look back and like, oh, they're probably just worried that I was going to hurt myself, which I ended up doing anyway. But um, do you have kids? I do. Yeah, I've got two kids. Yeah, yeah, and um, yeah. So I ended up dropping baseball to go race BMX. Yeah, um, and I ended up essentially just taking myself there. Like I'd, I'd have, I'd ride there all the time. Like I'd ride there just about every afternoon. I'd get home, drop my bag, and then ride down to the bike track. Yeah. Um, practice for a couple of hours and then ride back home. And yeah, it was awesome. really funny to see the shift between what people considered a normal sport to what they didn't. My parents yeah. were all about the baseball. Like every weekend they were there, every game, almost every training that they could make, they were there. Yeah. In the two years that I raced BMX, my father turned up once. Yeah. You it's funny I mean? how like if it's not a team sport yeah. that's involved with like a – you know, like soccer, football, basketball, that's all team sort of sports. But when it comes to just doing something by yourself, like riding a skateboard, you do it by yourself, you don't need a team. Or riding a bike, BMX, you do it by yourself, you don't need a team. Yeah. They're not really – it's funny that they're not considered sports, but they're still active. Like you still – it's still fitness. And That's right. That's the fittest yeah. I ever was in my entire life was when, yeah. I, when I was racing. And, and you and, still learn skills. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Nice, man. So skateboarder. Skateboarder, that was my biggest hobby growing up, and second biggest would have been um, playing guitar. Yeah, nice. Um, All that took way too much coordination for me. <laughs> I tried to skateboard, and I, I, I dabbled in it for a while, but I was never great at it. Yeah. It just took the bike so much better. Yeah. Yeah. I was um, I was a bit of a small, skinny kid, so... Yeah. I don't feel like when I tried riding BMX a little bit, I just wasn't big enough to throw them around though. Like I couldn't do the tail whips and stuff. Yeah. I couldn't barely even bunny hop. I was just too small. Yeah. But um, skateboarding, yeah, was good. Nice man. So you got into guitar as well? Yeah. Or oh, I grew up as a bit of a metalhead, so nice. I loved playing guitar and yeah, playing a bit of heavy metal. Nice. I'm completely musically challenged. Yeah. I love music, but I can't play it for the life of me. If someone held a gun to my head and said, play a song, I, I wouldn't be able to play anything to save my life. Not even uh, Seven Nation Army or Smoke on the Water? <laughs> no. Yeah. No. I've, I've learned both of them. 
I wouldn't even know. <laughs> <it was like. laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, cool. Nice. Um, so, did you have a dream car at all, sort of growing up, being into cars, drawing them? Um, specifically, that sort of it changes like every five years. I think you yeah. go through stages growing oh. up, like you you like something, and then it changes. Mine changes, but every, um, so. yeah, yeah. I couldn't tell you what it is every day. Something new. Yeah, there's too many cars to choose from. But um, so at my younger years, I was probably, oh, I must have been like, I would have been 10 and I was buying Hot Fours magazines flat out Yeah. Um, and had a little pile of Hot Fours magazines and that was during like the Fast and the Furious movie stage. So like obviously I wanted, I wanted a Lancer with a big wing and neons and all the fucking stickers and stuff. But um, once I was old enough to actually drive cars, once I got my license, I, um, you know, discovered just Aussie cars like Holden's and Commodores and Falcons and stuff and then sort of shifted to wanting a V8 sort of car. And um, But, yeah, I had a stage in my life where I was obsessed with Jap import cars just because of the magazines and the Fast and Furious movies. And, yeah, I would have loved a 34 GDR Skyline. That was probably the main car at my early ages, like young teenager. And then... After that, sort of just anything HSV I loved. Yeah. And then now, what I really, the type of car I really love now is just a tough Pro Street sort of old Holden. Yeah. I just love anything sort of, you know, weld wheels, nine inch, good motor. Yeah. Sort of like, yeah, Pro Street sort of build. Yeah, nice. Yeah. It's, um, but I'd still have a Lamborghini or Ferrari too. I'd love one of those. Yeah, yeah. I just love every car, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm the same, man. Like, I'd give me one of everything, and I'm good. Yeah. Oh, I probably still wouldn't be good. <laughs> That'd be something else I want. <laughs> Two of everything. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's cool, man. Um. <clears throat> so, what out of I guess out of sort of any of the dream cars you've had along the way, is there anything that's actually a possibility that you that you'd sort of look at owning yourself one day, or? Um. So. The next car I want to build for myself is like a Pro Street style build HQ Holden sedan. Yep. I've got one and it's really rusty and needs a lot of time spent on it, which I don't have. So it's it's a possibility, but I don't know how soon. <laughs> um, it's it's a curse for, for guys in, in your industry. Oh, tell so, me about it. So into cars, but... You, the rely, whole... you rely on everybody else to pay you to, to make a living? Yeah, I've had this conversation before. The, the whole reason I'm doing what I'm doing is because I love cars. And the bitter irony is I don't have time to even touch my own cars because I'm working on other people's cars. So, like, yeah. why am I? I don't know. I should just go back to working for someone else and then I can spend my time building my own cars. I don't know. One day, my plan is once I'm financially comfortable, I'd like to spend every Friday working on my own car yeah. and maybe even get my employees to do the same, like help me work on my car every Friday. Yeah. But I just need the bank account to be healthy before I feel like that's I can do that. Yeah, being able to that, to pay someone to help you work on your car. Yeah. You're not only not making money that day, you're, you're losing it. 
<laughs> yeah, it's yeah. I don't know what to do. I just I've honestly thought maybe I should just give up on working on my own cars and just buy something done. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I can do that either because I like to be the one that has done the work. See, I I think that so often myself, but I, yeah, I don't know. There's something about having built your own car. Yeah, and I find. I don't know, the last couple of cars I've owned myself, I've had more fun building them and then when it's finished, I'm sort of not interested in the car anymore. Yep. I think I'm I'm I think I'm trying to chase that feeling of what you get when you have your first car. You it's like your first love, your first car that you spend all that money on building and all that money on modifying it and stuff when you're younger on your peas. You'll never get that feeling back again. And I think I've been spending like the last 10 years trying to chase that feeling and get it back, but I just can't. And I don't own that car in my first car anymore. I've sold it, but I feel like I'm trying to chase that feeling and get it back, and I have just yeah. haven't been able to get it again. Well, I can tell you that buying that car again doesn't doesn't help either. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, I'll cross that out off my list. <laughs> so with that, what was that first car? Um, It was a VP Commodore. Right. And... I didn't even like VP Commodores. I didn't like VN Commodores. I don't know anyone that did like a VP Commodore. I know. And for some reason, I always ended up with them. Yeah. I think it's just because they were so so much so much cheaper back then. So this is 16 years ago. Um, and yeah, I got this VP Commodore for 1600 bucks, And it had, um, had HSV badges on it and a HSV Formula badge on it. Yep. I don't know too much about it. I think it was like a fake HSV. I think someone was making fake HSVs back in the day and selling them from a dealership and putting like a formula badge on them. I don't know because the things that it had in it were weird. It was like a combination of like Calais features and maybe a Bellina body or something. I don't know. It had electric windows in the front but not in the back. Yep. And it looked like they looked aftermarket. Yeah, right. Uh, I don't know. But um, that was my first car. And I bought that just because it was cheap and it had like a SV5000 body kit on it. And um, yeah, I, I, I was only probably eight months into my apprenticeship when I bought it. And I was like, I didn't have my license yet when I bought it, but I was my plan was to get it painted and all done up, put some wheels on it and everything. So as soon as I got my P's, I had this fresh car to drive. Um and yeah, I did that. I painted it purple, that Morpheus purple, purple, and that was like real new. Yep. And then all of a sudden, everyone painted their car that color. But um, but yeah, that was my first car, and it was like my first love. I just spent heaps of money on it, and that was, you know, it was my first car, so it was. I got to learn a lot. Like it was the first car I put a stereo in, so that was. That's always like a big moment for a P player putting a stereo in a car. Absolutely. So tell me, was did you solder it or did you twist and tape? Um, yeah, it would have been twist and tape. Yeah, that's a go. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I think um, that's everybody's first stereo install, twist and tape. Yep. And it doesn't catch fire. Yep. Um, yeah, there was a lot of learning with that car. I um, So by the time I sold it, it was on its fourth Buick motor. I just kept blowing them up. Probably, yeah, I just... I didn't. I treated them badly. <laughs> I've never heard one that's been treated well. I can tell you. Yeah, <laughs> and um, it was an auto, and I converted it to a manual. 
so that was fun doing that. It was like all learning, learning curve, doing all that stuff, converting it to manual myself. Um, it was good. The shop I did my apprenticeship at, um, they let me have the keys to the place and they would knock off and just leave me there to work on my own car. And sometimes I'd stay there till midnight just, yeah, doing the manual conversion in my car and, and just working on my own cars. Um, but, yeah, that, that feeling you get doing those things to your first car is something you'll nev never forget. And, I'm, as I said, I'm still trying to chase that feeling and get it back, but I just can't. You know, I think it's gone. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You're right. <clears throat> it was funny. I had a um an AU Falcon like not long ago. Probably got rid of it maybe about twelve months ago now. Yeah. Right. Um, coming from, I mean, that's quite old in itself now. But coming from my first car where it was a twist and tape stereo install job to something yep. like that. See, everything I've owned up until that point has always been a little, little left of center. You know, like just old Datsuns and things like that. And yep, nobody makes anything for them. So everything yeah, you do. You're installing yourself, and you've just got to find a way to make it work. Where you yep. Falcon, I walked into Super Cheap Auto and I bought the kit to just go bang, 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 stereo in. Done. <laughs> Three hundred dollars all done, and it was yep. just, yeah the slide in job, and it was all finished. And I just I finished doing that. I'm just like, why? Why have I been yep. around so long for <laughs> all these other cars when you can just have something that's heaps common and just go pop, we're done. Yeah. I think that's why I'm so keen to do my HQ. Yep. Because they're basically a, a kit car now. Everything you can buy from rare spares. So um, every rust panel that I need, I can get. And yeah, there's not much that they don't make for them. So I know it's going to be an easy sort of build. I've got the body, I've got the panels, and all the stainless is good. Absolutely everything else you can buy brand new. So I like to think that's going to make the build a little bit easier for me. <laughs> but, um, I just need the time. That's it, for sure. <clears throat> um, have you owned a bunch of cars since that VP? Um, so the VP was the first, and then I had like another two or three VN VPs that I used for parts and the like the uh, manual conversion and bits and pieces, and then I bought. A full grandpa spec VP Calais that was in awesome condition except for the paint. And I just bought that, painted it, and sold it. And I didn't make much money at the time, but for me back then it was a decent amount of money. It would have been the cheapest paint job ever anyone's ever gotten from me because I bought the car for five hundred bucks, painted it, and then sold it for three and a half grand. Yep. So that's probably the cheapest way you can get a paint job off me is by buying a car that I've painted already. <laughs> yeah, right. I'll, I'll speak to you after this and we'll see if we can line something <laughs> Um And then, yeah, I sold that and then I bought a VNSS for three grand. Yep. I painted that inside and out, um, like did the brakes on it, exhaust, um cleaned up the interior, all new headlights, taillights, sticker kits and everything. And then I never got it registered. I just sort of got over it. Um, and then I bought a VXSS um, and then sold the VN for eight and a half grand. And that was like, yeah, VNSS, eight and a half grand, all new paint, like it was clean as. And then I seen 
they started to go up in value. Yep. Like five years later, they started to go up in value, and I was like, oh, shit, what have I done? So I sort of got online to see what was on the market, and I found I found a VNSS for 10 grand, full of rust, absolute piece of shit, and I bought it, and now I'm in the process of trying to finish that. Yeah, right. Um, what else? I've had – I bought this little – Ford Courier Ute with the hydraulic tip tray on it. Oh yeah, blew that up in about six months. <laughs> um, I've had, I bought a brand new Mitsubishi Triton. Just I needed a four wheel drive. I needed to tow something. Um, so that was sort of like the cheapest four wheel drive I could afford. Um, got one of them in a order uh, in a manual, and then twelve months later realised I'm getting old and I don't think I like driving a manual anymore um i like to use one hand to eat or drink while i'm driving <laughs> so i traded that in and got another brand new triton with the auto um and i haven't owned a shitload of cars but um oh i forgot the vk i had a vk how could i forget the vk um i bought a vk and spent about 40 Five fifty grand building that. Well, okay, yeah. And then I just sold it probably six months ago for fifty five. Um, yeah, did a fair bit of work to that. I've got another VK sitting at home in the shed, just waiting for a rainy day to give that a full makeover. I've got a a VN executive, really like unmolested good example of an unmolested car like still got the original mud flaps on it it's just got a bit of patina yep and that was 500 bucks on marketplace and i couldn't pass it up so i just bought it and i haven't touched it since and it's been about two years um and then a few months ago i bought a ve or what is it wm statesman with the six liter v8 right um i bought that sort of cheap just in case I wanted to use that running gear in the HQ when I build it. So I bought that. So maybe I have got a few cars. <laughs> <laughs> it's a forget. Wrong, yeah. Yeah. Um, you, don't, you don't sort of think about it until you've got to sit down and, and, and you're, you're forced, I guess, to sit down and start thinking yeah. and writing them down or something. I might have forgotten a few too, but yeah. Yeah, nice. So out of those, which has been like your, your favourite um, it's either my very, very first car, just because the learning experiences, the memories, or the VK, because that was my first sort of car I spent real money on. Yep. Um, and, like, that was the first car that I'd have done absolutely everything on, like built engine, built gearbox, diff, brakes, paint inside and out, wheels. Yep. Um, yeah. yeah. But I'm hoping the HQ is my last big build and i hope that it fills that hole that's missing <laughs> yep so that's yeah. that's like going full pro street i guess yeah um i really want to i really want to film it properly too like to almost do like a, a little series on it yep um hopefully get maybe a few people involved in the build and um yeah maybe film it with a proper camera instead of my phone and sort of release episodes as we go, maybe do a YouTube thing. Everyone keeps messaging me and asking me if I put my videos on YouTube and 
Um, I probably should, but it's just another thing I, I don't have the time to get around to do. But. Yeah, it's it's a struggle too. And if you're doing it alone, if you've got someone else to to help you, it's fine. Yeah. Because you can be doing the work and they can just be capturing it. But if you're doing it alone, setting up cameras, moving them around, finding the angle, you know what I mean? And then yep. going, okay, halfway through, let's not leave this angle for too long, so let's find another one. And, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a job in itself, yeah. man. So. And one thing with those videos I like – I hate how like um, some people that film videos like that, they don't use a microphone and then their audio just sounds a little shitty. Yeah. So I'd have to have like the microphone on my shirt and have it all done properly. I'm a little bit fussy when it comes to some things and I reckon if I do this HQ, I want to have all my, all my, um, you know, all my ducks aligned and get it done yeah. properly. Yeah, but that's sure. the thing, if I'm going to film it, I need to make sure I've got the time and money just to do it quickly. Yeah. I don't want the build to drag out three years. I'd rather just do it like a real quick three-month build, film it all, release the episodes weekly or fortnightly. And, yeah, I don't know, maybe try and get some sponsors or something. <laughs> that'd be that'd be interesting, man. Yeah, I just thought it'd be cool to buy like the whole Rare Spares catalogue for it and do like a bit of a collab with them or, yeah, I'm just keen to do that. Yeah, I'll, I'll reach out to him, man, see what happens. Mm. That'd be really cool. Yeah. Because they, they might even be able to put you in touch with people that can sort of help you on in all aspects, you know what I mean? Like someone that can help with um, camera work and, and film and yeah. audio and you never know. Yeah. That'd be cool though. It's on my bucket list. I just got to wait yeah. for the timing. It's yeah, time. Time. Timing is the biggest stress for me lately. Yeah. yeah. Nice, mate. So I guess um, tell us a bit of the backstory of, your, of where you started out with um, with your apprenticeship, I guess. Um, so, yeah, I quit school. I just turned 16. And two weeks later, two or three weeks later, um, started doing this work experience at a panel shop. I did two weeks work experience. They gave me some cash and I was like, all right, that's it. And then the boss said, oh, you're going to come back next week? And I said, oh, yeah, if you want me to. And then, yes, end up staying there for seven years. <laughs> um, and then from then I moved. I didn't move. I, I left that shop and started at another shop um, just in the next town. Um, just a bit of a different shop, bigger, more people. Um, I just, yeah, a bit, bit better pay um, and ended up staying there for six years. It was never my intention or plan to start a business. I just, yep. I didn't think it was ever going to be um, achievable anyway. But um, I don't know, I just started to notice that the people I was working with, they were sort of just there as a job, just getting paid. They wouldn't get as excited about the cars coming in the shop as I would. Like it was a smash repair shop, so there was the boring jobs. But every now and then, you'd, there'd be one respray that'd come in, and I'd be like, I'd be keen as I'm like, oh, this is gonna be sick. I can't wait to paint this car. And I'd be getting really jeeked up, and everyone else is just not feeling this. Not didn't have the same vibe. Yeah, just sort of clocking and, on, doing doing the bare minimum, and clocking back. Yeah, and yeah. Trying to cut corners here and there just to get it done quick, and I'm like, no, you can't do that. You know, I just. Come on, we can't do that. We've got to make this look good for the customer. And then people started saying, oh, you need to start your own shop. You need to do your own thing. And I was like, yeah, I don't really know how it's going to happen. Like, it's 
um, like I live in a small country town and only taking home, I think it was 800 bucks a week. Um, and there sort of wasn't anything available to rent around here anyway. And I just, um, I didn't, yeah, didn't really think of it as an option. But then um, I started thinking about it more and more and I sort of get a little bit obsessive over things. And once I get an idea in my head, I have to, I have to get it. I have to have it done. Otherwise, I just will never stop thinking about it. Yep. And it got to a point where I was just like, I think I have to start my own business because I'm going to spend the rest of my life wondering and thinking about it if I don't. Um, and then, so my stepdad owns a business, runs his own engineering business, and he had access to a shed. And he said, he made a comment one day, he said, oh, you might be able to rent a bit of space in the corner of this shed if you want and start tinkering away and doing your own thing if you really want to. And I was like, oh, yeah, I suppose. I need to get a spray booth, though. Actually, I was doing cashies at home. I made a little home homemade um, spray booth in my shed at home, and I was sort of doing one car a year about four years leading up to this moment. But um, I said, yeah, right, well, I need a proper spray, spray booth. So I started looking around, and second-hand ones were like 20 to 40 grand for something good. And then my stepdad sort of said, why don't you just get a brand-new one? I'm like, well... They're like hundred grand for a good brand new one, and he's like, "This is where I got lucky. Like my stepdad gave me a lot of business advice. I've learnt so much from him, so I'm pretty grateful to have him." Um, but he said, he, goes, "He said bring over. He said come over tomorrow night, and we'll open up the laptop, and we'll do a bit of a business plan, and we'll see. Write down a list of your expenses." And he told me stuff I didn't even know what to expect, like insurances and. Um, all these little things that you've got to pay for went running a business that I had didn't even know existed. And he's like, well, what are you going to charge per hour? I'm like, I don't know, 70 bucks. And he's like, no, you need to charge more than that. I'm like, oh, but no one's going to pay that, are they? And then he just sort of put it all in on, on paper for me and showed me the numbers. He's like, if you work this many hours a week, um, this many chargeable hours a week, this is what you might make. And this is what you can afford to pay off if you've got a loan for a spray booth. And it just really worked it out for me, the budget side of things. And I'm like, we sort of worked out, well, maybe I can get a loan for a booth and pay it off as long as I hit these chargeable hours per week. Um, and then, yeah, he ended up renting a space to me in this shed that he had. I got a loan for a spray booth. Um, and then, yeah, worked sort of by myself for about 12 months. Had a couple of people come and go and give me a hand here and there. Um, now it's been two years and I've got two employees and possibly a third starting in a few weeks. Um, yeah. Wow, well, I man. could go on and on. <laughs> oh, that's 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 really cool. Um, so the idea came from essentially other people sort of planting the seed in your head because <laughs> you were showing more passion about some of the, the projects that were coming in than they were essentially. I think that's it because I still, that's one thing I still remember. Like it was like two or three guys I worked with specifically said to me, you need to start your own business. And I can still hear their voices in my head telling me that. And it's like to hear someone, to hear three people tell me that, I'm like, they made me think maybe I've got something going on and I should pursue it. Yeah. Like maybe I should be taking the credit for the cars I'm painting instead of my boss. Um, 
yeah, so I had the opportunity to do it and I just sort of thought, why not? I'm going to take the leap of faith and dedicate my life to it. Um, so, yeah, I thought I was always into cars, but it was like a couple of years leading up to opening up the shop. I thought to myself, all right, I'm going to really, I'm going to really make my whole life about cars now. I'm going to quit everything else and just be the car guy. Yep. And then hopefully I can thrive with it. Yeah. If I put 110% of my focus into cars and quit everything else, like I used to go to the gym a little bit and like do other stuff, but I was just like, no, nah, I'm going to cut everything out, do the business. Um, and yeah, just went for it. Nice, man. Nice. Sort of back in the, in the early days while you're working for someone else, did you have, um, like, did you have like that standout tradesman or tradesman that you worked with that, that really sort of helped you along? Um, probably my first boss in a good way and a bad way because he taught me a lot, but he was a real hard ass on me. And I think he's probably what really made me what I am now um, because he was such a hard ass um, and really, really fussy. Like the smallest little imperfection, he'd just crack the shits at you, yell at you, make you feel like the biggest asshole, and then make you redo the job. Yeah. So that was that was seven years straight, and it was hell, and I hated him for it. But deep down inside, I know it's because of him that I'm probably as fussy as I am now. So if I was so, to ask, if I was to ask the guys that work for you, are you that same hard ass today, or? Nah, I can't yeah. be an asshole to my yeah. guys. I'm too soft. <laughs> but I don't know. I still tell them what I expect of them, and yeah. I do tell them straight up. I am really fussy. Yeah, I probably I'm not an asshole, but I am sort of demanding. Yeah. There's two things I want, and I just want like top quality work, and I want them to do it quick. That's yeah. all I want, and. Yeah. Yeah, it's only two things, but it is a hard thing, hard two things to achieve oh, together, sure. quick and quality. So yeah, that's right. Yeah, nice. Um, so essentially, you kind of started out a bit, a bit like I guess most stories you'd, you'd hear in the industry, sort of doing a little bit of um, a fair bit of uh, like insurance work, and then with some other like full-on sort of resto or respray jobs in between. Yeah. So the two shops I worked at were just smash repair shops. Yep. Um, and, yeah, the, every now and then they'd have a restoration come through, but it would always get pushed on the to the like, to the like side. It would always be on the back burner yep. because the smash repair work was more priority. Yeah. Well, that and I hated that because I just wanted to do those cars. Yeah. But we were too busy. The boss wanted me to do the insurance work. And I was like, imagine if I could just do the restorations full time and nothing else. Yeah. That would be awesome. Um. And, yeah, so when I started the shop, I sort of made a promise to myself I'm never going to do insurance work because I've spent the last 10 years listening to my bosses whinge about insurance companies <laughs> that they're always fighting with them. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, I've sort of stuck to my word and I have not done any insurance work. I've just done one respray or one res restoration after another nonstop. Yeah, nice. Um, I almost did one insurance job. I didn't want to do it. But the customer had just had a car painted with me and he asked me if I could do an insurance job on his motorbike. Right. And I said, uh, okay, I'll do it for you because you've already looked after me and I've done a car for you. 
Um, so it was my first time ever sort of doing a quote for an insurance company. I won't say who the insurance company was, but I'd done a quote for them. And let's just say it was, I'd estimated 90 hours to get this job done. Um, process, process to put it through to the insurance company. The insurance assessor calls me and he's like, Rise Up Restorations, never heard of them. Um, I'm just trying to work out how you come up with 90 hours. And I said, oh, well, I'm just assuming it'll take that long to do the job. And he's like, nah, I reckon 40 hours. I'm like, what? <laughs> I was almost going to just throw my phone. I was like, nah, I'm booked out for like a year or so. I didn't even need to do this job. Yeah. I've got people, paying, customers paying real money to get these cars done. And he's trying to cut me hours down to get this job done quick so he can get a bonus off his boss. Yeah. And I just, I didn't end up doing the job. I was like, nah. My first ever experience with an insurance company was just shit straight away. Yep. Yeah. So just instantly hearing all those other people bitching about insurance. insurance. Yeah. You're like, ah, oh, I see now. And though their insurance companies are the reason why there's so many dodgy shops, or not dodgy shops, but dodgy work coming out of shops because yeah. these shops are struggling to make money because the insurance companies don't want to pay them to do the quality work. Well, that's that's crazy in itself. I mean, you as a panel leader, spray painter are telling them how long that job's going to take and them as an insurer yep. ringing you and telling you, no, this is how long it's going to take. Right. Yeah. And the, the insurance crazy. is that, they, what's that? That's crazy. That's insane to me. Yeah, that's how they that's how they work. They're screwing shops down, trying to get them to get you to do it really cheap so that they don't, they don't have to spend as much money. Yeah. And yeah, the more they do that, the more money they make. But um. It's funny though, because let's just say I, th I think I quoted like I don't know, might have been eight grand, and then um, I just gave up. I was like, no, I don't even want to really do this anymore, so I'm not going to try and um, uh, yeah, you know, process the quote or whatever. He ended up taking it to another shop, and they quoted like thirteen grand, and they end up getting the job and. So it cost the customer more money anyway. It cost them more money, the insurance company. <laughs> he was trying to get me to do it for like three and a half grand. What? And then they end up taking it to another shop and they quoted like 13 grand and that's where it got done. Wow. So I don't know if that guy still works there or not, the, the insurance <laughs> company, but yeah. Oh, my God, that's insane, man. Yeah. Uh, the joys of insurance companies. Yeah. Nice. So when did you open uh, Rise Up? Um, it was the end of 2020 during the pandemic. Um, uh, how, did, how did that go? Did that sort of weigh on you as you were trying to open something like that? or was not, really not really. Um, honestly, it, there were so many people having tough times with the yeah. pandemic and all the rules and everything that changed, people running the way they run their businesses and shops, but it... I just got really lucky. It didn't really affect me. I um, because I started by myself. I'd literally just lock up the shed, lock up the shop, so no one could come in. It didn't even look like we were open, and I'd just work in there by myself. So I can't infect anyone or get infected while I'm in there by myself working on cars. So I just, I just done my thing in the shed. We were pretty fortunate in New South Wales. Like we didn't really get massive lockdowns or anything like, like yeah, like Victoria did. Yeah. Um. So I guess that wouldn't have been. Did we have? I don't know if you 
I don't know if it was just a Sydney thing. We had like the five k dearly, or the or the outside of your like your council area or something like that. Oh, yeah, it might have been a Sydney thing. I can't we remember. Had, now. We had that for a little while, but not too yeah. long. I remember I had to carry around like a um an exemption, um yeah from my employer saying that I you know I'm a, an essentially an essential worker. Yeah. Um, I'm allowed to go wherever the hell I want, essentially. <laughs> yeah. I had the same thing because um, because I live on the Murray River, which is like yeah. the border. I was border, yeah. I live live in New South Wales, but when I was working in um, at my last job, that was over the river. Yeah. I was working in Victoria and I had to cross the border to get home every day. Uh-huh. And they had that's when they had the police set up on the bridge. So every single day I had to show them like an up-to-date, like paperwork saying that this is where I'm traveling, and it, yeah, it was just it was it was bullshit. <laughs> That's nuts, man. It sucked, but um, yeah. Once I started my own thing, I didn't have to cross the border anymore, so I just went from home straight into my shed, locked it up, and just worked. And yeah, I'm, I was lucky it didn't affect me. I was still able to make money where a lot of people had to close their businesses, which is which sucks. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. I think in that in that sort of industry at the time too, like a lot of people were able to draw in their super, and and all that sort of gear. So there was a lot of money going around, and this is where your COVID tax comes from. There was a lot more money yeah. going around at the time for people to work on their projects. They had more money and more time, right? Yeah, it sort um, of drove the inflation, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, you know, um, you look at every car of the time just instantly overnight went went up ten yeah. twenty grand. So I um I actually done the super thing i pulled 10 grand out of my super to help open the shop yeah right so i think i think i used 10 grand of my super to buy my compressor (laughs) yeah right okay um yeah so where did um where'd the name come from um i don't know like i was just it was another thing i was one of those it was one of those things i was really trying to come up with like a cool edgy name like but then I sort of realised I don't want to be a shop that's just so and so customs, so and so whatever. Customs with a K, but yeah, <laughs> I didn't want to be that typical shop. And then I was like, rise up! It has a lot of different sort of meanings for me personally because it's like rising up. Like your your car starts off as a bucket of shit and it rises up to be something that you want it to be. Um, and the business itself. I want the business to start off at the bottom of the ladder. I want to slowly rise up and eventually be a business that everyone knows the name. Um, just me personally as a person, like me evolving as a person and growing people skills and I want to rise up as a person and be the person I want to be during my journey as a business owner. It's just, it started to sound like a good wholesome name and Instead of trying to a name that's trying to sound cool, I just wanted a, a name that's just you know, yeah, just fits. rise up restorations. Nice man, nice. Yeah. Um. So the idea behind opening Rise Up was obviously like a sort of the culmination of all these people telling you should do your own thing, um. And essentially, you wanting to just do restoration work, um. Completely lost where I was going with that. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just I don't know, just the idea of having the business and calling it Rise Up Restorations. It just it felt right. Like I was in a moment in like like starting a business is a big stage of my life. It's like it was a big change for me. I've been working for someone else for so long. 
getting paid whatever they paid me and suddenly breaking into this whole new chapter of life where suddenly I'm, I've got to rely on myself. I've got to make sure the money comes in so that I can pay myself. And it's just, yeah, it's just me rising up to be the person yeah. I wanted to be. I wanted to be a business owner. I wanted to be independent and have that sort of respect that I can run a business and, yep. um, yeah. What was the, what was the anxiety like sort of coming into to the start of that, especially like, cause that essentially the end of 2020 is kind of where what nine months into, into this pandemic that people still don't know anything about. Yeah. What was all that like for you? Um, Surprisingly, I wasn't that anxious about it. Like usually, I'm pretty, um, you know, I'm an anxious person sometimes, and I think I was just so obsessed with the idea. I was more excited. I was just so keen to get in and get it happening. I had a plan. So like six months before, probably longer, probably like ten months before actually opening the doors and opening the business, I had the plan. I was, I was like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to have social media. Um. It's funny, actually, there's a detail, a fatal finish, and he's the way he runs his social media, I always thought it was so cool. Like He's always got the best of the best cars that, coming into his shop, and that's all he works on. There's nothing else. It's just good cars. And I thought to myself, why can't I do that with spray painting? Why can't I be a spray painter that just only does the cool shit? And I was like, I've just got to work out how to get that clientele and get those customers. Um, so I actually talked to... Um, Jimmy from Fatal Finish and told him my plan that I'm I'm going to start this business. I'm striving to be one of the best in the industry. Um, I know, like telling him that, I know it means jack shit. I've got to prove myself. Um, so I just said, like, here's a few cars I've done in the past. Um, I know I'm capable of doing quality work. If you can, you know, pass on some customers to me, I'll um, we can share a bit of work in the future, and then. Yeah, he, he hooked me up with a couple of jobs and booked them in and I had a few other jobs as well. So when I opened the doors, I probably only had about three, four cars that were actually locked in, booked in, and it, it just snowballed effects so quickly. Like It took me, yeah, probably six months to be booked out for 12 months and then after that 12 months, I was booked out for two years and then, yeah, it's just snowball effect. Yeah, nice. So... Do you sort of attribute that to more like the networking and word of mouth or is that kind of attributed to like a social media plan as well or is it all kind of encompassing and it all kind of works together? Um, all together, mostly um, word of mouth, just like I'll do a car for, from, for someone, they'll show their friends or tell their friends and then they, at least one person from that car might book in um, yeah, surprisingly, the social media has got a lot of attention, but most of the bookings haven't come from social media. It's yeah, mostly right. um, word of mouth from previous customers. Yep, friends, um, of, friends of customers and all that sort of yeah. stuff. But now, now, like, a, yeah, I suppose like the first year or so, most of it was word of mouth, but now a lot, now a lot of my bookings are from social media. But um. Yeah, it's probably 50-50 now. Yeah. Half social media, half from previous customers and people that they know. Well, that's cool, man. It's good to see like you had a bit of a strategy there behind it as well and that's that's also working. So Yeah. That's really cool. I, I always plan to film the process the way I do. 
that was my plan from the start. I just thought I'll have my phone on me the whole time and I'll just get like three, ten seconds or like heap of um, short clips of the whole process. I'll just keep filming every now and then during the whole job and it might take two months or six weeks to do a car and I'll just film a few minutes of footage every day and then when the car's done, I'll go through my phone, put it all together, chop it up, put some music there and then uh, that just really took off, those videos. I don't know if, um, if it's – I didn't know if it was something that people were already doing or not. I just – I was just going to do it anyway. Um, and then, yeah, like – I think it was 12 months went by and my Facebook was just quiet. There was I had like 800 followers or something. 12 months went by and that's all I had. And then suddenly one video just sort of went viral and then I woke up the next day and I had 3,000 followers. Yeah, right. And then in the space of two weeks, I'd suddenly gone up to like 12,000 followers and it was I think it was all from one video. Um, it just must have got circulated around um, and it's got like 3.1 million views or something now. Yep. But, um, yeah, just the power of social media is so good. Like, So it makes it – anyone can run a business now. Social media makes it so much easier. Yep. I was um, talking about it today with my panel bed. I said, Matt, what would you do like 20 years ago before social media? Like, How would you share your work around? And we were just talking about – now, like a lot of businesses have like a bar mat at a pub or bar coasters, stubby holders. That's like the old-fashioned marketing. Now it's all Instagram, Facebook. Yeah, it's all it's all stuff that costs you and you've got to outlay that money to then hand off to someone and you don't see any return on that. You know, yeah, like- and some reason it's advertised to people at pubs that are spending their money drinking beers. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Like, yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. It's it's unreal like how it's how it's come across now. Um, yeah. which, which video was that? Um, it was. Uh, this is the thing. It's not even a job that I was proud of. Um, <laughs> oh, I'm sort of proud of all my jobs. But this one, I could, it could have been done better, but I was sort of trying to stick to a budget for the customer. Yeah. Um, it was the the mustard coloured Valiant charger. Right. Okay. Um, it had a lot of nasty rust in it. Um. Yeah, just it's funny how some videos take off and some don't. Yeah. Like some videos get millions of views, some only get like 10,000 views. Yeah. And I don't know what the reason is. It just must be combination of the music and the color of the car or something it just grabs people when they scroll through their social media. It makes you wonder, doesn't it? Like is there something in that video that you haven't got in other videos? Like is it, I don't know, like rust repair or, or something like that? Or It could be. I think maybe – um. Because a lot of my followers come from overseas, and I think it was because it's a car that um, they probably don't see. Because it was a Charger, I think it grabbed a lot of attention from oh, um, Americans. Yeah, but then they're like, "That's not a Charger." Yeah, that's right. Some of the comments are funny to read because there might be like hundreds of comments to, on some of these videos, and a lot of them are overseas um, people, and they're just like, "That's not a Charger." There's no such thing as a Valiant Charger. And then you've got the Aussie guys arguing with them on the comments saying, then what the hell is this? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, that's cool, man. Um, so were there massive deciding factors to, to sort of kicking it off on your own? Like was there, was there heaps of things you had to sort of take into account? You, you were you're mentioning that um, 
you know, you're sort of told things that you weren't, you hadn't thought of like insurance and all that sort of stuff. Yes. Yeah, so it was a little bit daunting, like realizing the expenses running the business. Yep. Um, I, I sort of almost gave up on the idea for a little while because I just didn't think I'd be able to get a spray booth and I didn't want to get a second air mine because I knew, just knew I wouldn't be happy with it. But then eventually I was able to get finance for a booth um, and then worked out that I could afford to pay it off as long as I did 40 chargeable hours a week. So I might work 55 hours a week on average and maybe 35 or 40 of those hours are actually chargeable to the customer at my hourly rate. And I worked out if I do that, I can afford to pay all these expenses and then have a little bit left over for myself. Um, and yeah, just made it work. But um, the whole COVID tax thing really sucks because all my consumables have gone up. Same with every, every business, but um, a lot of my consumables, some of them have doubled, if um, and if not doubled, at least gone up 50%. So yeah, it's, it's, a little, it's definitely hard running a business. I feel like my industry in particular, I get a bit ripped off. Like, I don't know, like a plumber can just get a ute with a trailer and some tools and then that's your business. Or a Sparky can have the a ute with a canopy and tools and that's their business. But yeah, I've got I've got a, I've got to have a big workshop, rent. Um, I've got to have the spray, spray booth and the gas to run it, and just all the all the consumables. There's so much like yeah. gun wash, masking tape, masking paper, masking plastic, bog, bloody degreaser, just everything. The paint, sandpaper. Yeah. I feel like. I've got it. Got the raw end of this um, <laughs> stick, or whatever you say. <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, I, I I get where you're coming from. I've I've worked for. I mean, I've I've never had my own business as far as being an electrician goes. Um, but I get I get what you're saying. Like if if you're a single man job, it's pretty easy being one of yeah. the trades. You know what I mean? And you and you get to charge a fair bit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but if you're sort of doing it on a larger scale and you've got people to work for you, then you kind of need a lot more you need to hold yeah and all that sort of thing so it's it's kind of on i think it's on par but um yeah, yeah if, if i was just like a sole trader working for myself yeah. or, or even just a subcontractor it's very easy to make good money yeah uh, i um i put things in perspective for me a couple of weeks ago i um so i charge on average about 80 bucks an hour and out of that i've got to pay for all those consumables rent and insurance loans whatever 80 bucks an hour. Um, I had an air conditioner um, wired up a few weeks ago at home. Yep. And I called this guy to come do it as a cashie. He comes and does it after he knocks off work as a cashie. And it was pretty much, pretty much charged me 100 bucks an hour. Yep. And I was just like, far out. I'm charging 80 bucks an hour and trying to pay for all my consumables and everything out of that $80. And he comes over and charges me 100 bucks an hour just to connect some wires in me in the bloody air conditioning and I was like far out he almost gets to keep all that money too <laughs> yeah as, as a cashier he probably keeps a lot yeah so uh, unless he had to, to gas the system up which he probably might have no nah, that was that was already done a mate of oh, mine done that I just got the sparky to come in and connect the wires <laughs> oh, I, I, I completely misunderstood that that was just a sparky yeah that was a sparky the oh, air con, oh. aircon had already been fitted gassed oh. it just needed power and an isolator yep yeah 
So that, that made me think, man, I could probably make more money doing something else, but it's lucky that I was, love cars. That was the thought, again, going, yeah. going right back to the start. That was the thought behind me doing the electrical trade first. Yeah. At least I've got something to fall back on. And, and look, at the time, there was no way I was thinking of what makes more money. Yeah. Which was more secure at the time and yeah. always going to need electric, electricity. Yeah. Um, you look at the way the cars are going now, we're still going to need electricity. So. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, um, um, yeah. Going, going into business, I wasn't really overly concerned about making heaps of money. Like yeah. I, was, I was wanting to make at least a little bit more money than I was getting as an employee, but I wasn't overly doing it for money. Yeah. I wanted to do it because I wanted to – I wanted to have a business be my like baby that I can mold and grow, watch it grow and have fun doing the social media side of things. Yep. Um, but yeah, now being in business for two years and I've got employees, now it sort of is about the money because I need to have the money there to keep the business afloat, which sucks because I don't want to have to worry about money. I want to continue to enjoy the work and yep. the cars. I don't want it to be about the money. But yeah, that's just, yeah. See how things are. Very true. Um, so you had a bit of a customer base beforehand. Yeah, so I had my Instagram account before the business, and um, I'd all, I'd sort of posted up cars I was doing for myself and a few cashies along the way. Started to build a little following, um, just posting the cashies and my own cars, and then I was like, I'm going to use this Instagram account for my business when I open it up since the people following me now are already car people. So I just made an announcement and said I'm going to told everyone I'm going to start my own business and this account's going to be called Rise Up Restorations from now on and then um from then on yeah had a um had a bit of a following already from the start. It wasn't much. I think it was like 350 followers. Um but at the stage, that was a lot for me. I was just like, how is 350 people watching what I'm doing? Why do they care about what I'm yeah. doing? It's cool to think. Uh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, is there something you've you've learned along the way that you wish you knew from the start? Um, probably. I just can't think of it right now. But, <laughs> um, yeah, I'm learning stuff every day. It's still like, it yeah. doesn't matter how long. You're, you've been doing something for you've always got room to learn and grow and um, yeah I'm still learning stuff whether it be more skills doing the work or learning more business side of things that's that's another thing like starting the business I knew how to paint cars I knew how to do the work that was one thing that's the easy part and then starting the business I've totally forgot I've got to learn how to run a business. I've never done that before. So now it's like I've learned how to do the trade and now I've got to learn how to yep. do business. You so jumped, jumped in the deep end with it. Yeah, so the whole last two years has been learning for me um, yep. and still learning. Um, I remember ringing an accountant and telling him what I'm going to do and I just said, I'm starting a business. I've got no idea. I don't even know what BAS is or what BAS means. I've heard the word BAS and I've got no idea what the hell BAS is. Something to do with fishing. Um, <laughs> I said to him, I've got no idea what the hell I'm doing when it comes to tax and all this stuff. And he just made me feel comfortable. He just said, he said, I don't even want you to worry about it. Just let me handle it. So I'll just give him access to my zero accounting. 
and he just sort of handles it. And um, yeah, I, so I still sort of don't know too much about tax, but <laughs> I'm learning. Um, I just try and spend more than I earn so that I pay less tax. I think that's as simple as I can make it. <laughs> Maybe I should start spending. Actually, I already spend more than I earn. It's not working for me. So yeah, <laughs> it works better if you yeah got a business. But we got you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, always learning, and that's another thing. So being able to do the trade is one thing. Learning how to run a business is the second thing. Suddenly, I've got employees. Now I've got to learn how to be a boss, and that's been the hardest part so far. Yeah, um, being a boss—it's just a whole other can, can of worms. Um, it's like when you work by yourself, you've got to be the boss of yourself. If you've got three employees, suddenly you've got to be the boss for yourself, and then three other guys, and your brain just starts to hurt every day. <laughs> yeah, you've got to get them working the way you'd want the job done, and. Yeah. Getting pushed back because they don't want to do it the way you'd want to do it. Yeah. That's the hardest part in my job particularly because I'm aiming for quality all the time. I've really got to make my guys do the best they possibly can and and even better again. So yeah. I'm really pushing them to grow and improve their skills as well so we all just sort of grow together. Yeah. And how's, rise up. <laughs> how's that transition been? Has that, has that been pretty decent? You know, like sort of getting these guys. Did you know them beforehand? Um, one of my panel beaters, I actually, he done his apprenticeship at the same shop I did mine at. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he moved away to another shop. Um, and then I offered him a job and because he was at a smash repair shop and I knew that he was sort of sick of doing smash work and wanted to do resto work. So, um, yeah, he was interested. I put him on and sort of he's still in the process of converting from a smash repair panel beater into a restoration panel oh, beater. And to it's a totally, hey? Trying to get rid of that mindset. Yeah, it's a totally different thing. And he's even he's even said himself, it's like he's had to forget everything he knew and learn from scratch. Um, and, yeah, I, I sent him to the guys from Melomotive. They do a few different courses. Um, I've sent him to the spline course that they do and he said he learnt so much with those guys and he'd reckon he'd go and do the same course again and probably learn more again. Um, but, yeah, I've sent both of my panel beaters to those courses. Um, so, yeah, I've got a qualified beater and I've just put on an apprentice and he's going to be a gun. He's naturally a car lover and good work ethic from the start, so he's going to be a gun. I can know, he's already doing sort of the work that a second or third year would be doing. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how he progresses. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. So what kind of cars do you work on? Is it anything um, and everything? Or? We're sort of happy to work on anything and everything. I haven't really turned away too many jobs, um, but definitely a lot of Holdems coming in. Like you'll come into the shop and there might be – Every car is just a Holden, and I'll look at my bookings, and the next ten cars might be a Holden. But um, yeah, there's a couple of Fords, and there's even a GDR Skyline coming in next. Um, and then there's a Plymouth Roadrunner that we're working on at the moment. Um, yeah, I'm I'm sort of open to everything, but I do prefer the old Holdens and even new Holdens. I just being an, a Holden lover myself, it's just I like and enjoy them more. And I, I know more about those cars, so it is a little yeah, bit easier. Yeah. 
Yeah. So if if you could be picky and choose your customers, it'd be more that side of things. Yeah. Yeah. I know there's shitloads of VKs and VLs being built all the time, but I'm I'm still happy to do them because yeah. I yeah I know them well and enjoy working on them. Yeah. Nice. So what have, what have you currently got in the shop? Um, we've got a HQ Prem, um, and that the customer wants that to be an unveil car at Summonats. Yep. So, so we've sort of stopped showing any footage of that. You probably noticed the Instagram stories a little bit quiet lately. So I've got stuff that I'm doing I can't show. Um, and then we've got the Plymouth Roadrunner that's come in a couple of weeks ago. And we've stripped that down. It's on the rotisserie. It's just been sandblasted. And we found a shitload of rust. So that's put a bit of a dampener on things. We knew it was going to have rust, but seeing it in person just makes it feel shit. <laughs> um and then we've got a HG Holden Ute that we're doing a full build on. That's meant to be a Summonats unveil as well. Um, we've got a, I think it's an LH Hatchback Tirana. Um, that's going to be a nice car. It's tubbed and caged. Um, that was a full rotisserie sort of build as well. Um, what else? HQ Plymouth Tirana HG... My VNSS is just in the shop and gets pushed around out of the road here <laughs> and there. It's in the way. <laughs> yep. Um, I actually put the engine back in it last night, so that was a bit of a good thing. Um, and then there's my HQ that's sitting outside. Um, but I definitely need more space. I've outgrown the shop already. So inside of um, two years, you've outgrown it? Yeah, well, I've got a plan in place. Um, I... Recently, actually purchased half an acre of land in an industrial oh, estate. I did see that. Yeah. Yeah. So I've, I've managed to get that get hold of that land, um, and then the next step is probably two and a half, three years away. I'll build a new shop. I'm just waiting to have the spray booth paid off, and then yeah, I'll start looking into building a new shop, and then relocate, and then have my own proper purpose-built restoration shop. And um, hopefully have like a nice display room, a um, bit of a detailing studio and, yeah, nice epoxy floors and have my dream workshop all set up. Yeah, nice, man. That's really cool. Mm. Um, so I'm going to throw some hypothetical questions at you. Yep. Uh, if money no, money was no object, what's your ultimate build? Yeah, I just don't know. <laughs> I couldn't choose. I, I'd, honestly, I just keep thinking about my HQ. I just want to build that. Yeah. Um, but if money was no object, yeah, I'd probably do a real crazy custom fabrication on it instead of just leaving it sort of a stock thing. I'd probably do, um, yeah, a bit more fabrication work, just a nice tubbed sort of boot space, maybe some sheet metal in the engine bay, maybe a small roof chop. Um. Yeah, I'd want to go nuts on the HQ. I think. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Uh, and then, kind of on the other end, you've got to sell every car that you own. You currently yep. own that's in your possession. Uh, and for that total accumulated value, you can buy one car. What is it? And well, <laughs> how much are you spending, and what is it? Well, if I've got no cars and I need to buy one. I need something that I can drive to work and back and that does everything. Sometimes I need to tow stuff, so I'm obviously going to need a four-wheel drive. 
that sucks because I just couldn't choose one. <laughs> Shit, we're getting a practical answer. No. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting a real answer. I've actually yes. got to think about it. I don't know, probably, I reckon a really cool lifted uh, Silverado with like a supercharger would be cool. Yeah, nice. Yeah. That's all right. That wasn't. That's not too practical. That's all right. We can, we can no, I can. St- I can still tow if I've got to tow something for work. Yeah. I can still daily. I can still take the kids to school. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, it's a pretty practical answer. Nice. Um, we're getting into questions from past guests. I hopefully, um, I know this is kind of a bit rushed, and hopefully, I gave you enough notice to sort of have a bit of a look through these. And be oh, I didn't have to think about it at work today. <laughs> Uh, so we'll start off with a question from Jack Merritt. How many five-year-olds do you think you can take on in a fight? Um, are they armed? Um, just with sugar. Sugar? That's Yeah, they're just hyped up on sugar. That's all they've got. Uh, I reckon it'd be pretty easy if I had like a pile of iPads. <laughs> just um and some wi-fi just win you instantly win this fight <laughs> but if i had to like bash them and physically abuse them i don't know i'd probably i'd probably try four four but um i don't know i've got a four-year-old daughter so i've got a rough idea of what to expect um i'd have a go at four maybe more i don't want to overdo it <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Uh, coming from Mick Kelly, do you leave your phone locked or unlocked around your missus? Well, it's locked sort of all the time because I don't want my kids grabbing it and then like calling a customer or sending money somewhere somehow. But um, oh, I've got no issue leaving it unlocked around the missus. I don't have I don't have time to keep secrets or <laughs> shit like that. <laughs> I'm too old for that stuff. Life's stressful enough. Yeah. Um. Coming from Jake Jones, uh, tell us your best slash worst joke. You can take your pick. You got a really good joke. Uh, I've got one I made myself when I was younger. I'll try it on you. Hit it. Hit it. Um, Knock, knock. Who's there? Urine. Urine who? You're an idiot. (laughs) (laughs) Cheers, man. No worries. (laughs) That hurts. Sorry. Nice. That's the second knock-knock joke. I like it. Oh, really? Yeah. All right. Uh, coming from Tony Bishop. Uh, fuel has gone completely. There's no cars, no bikes, no go-karts, no motorsport. What's the next hobby you'd be into and why? I'd go back to guitar. I miss my guitar. Yep. Is that um? Is that one of those things you sort of gave away to, to focus on the business? Um, Sort of. I sort of slowly giving up on it anyway before the business. Honestly, it was my dream to be a rock star, but I didn't want to be a spray painter. So, I wanted to be a rock star. I wanted to be in a heavy metal band with a group of mates and just travel the world, bloody trashing hotels and playing concerts. That was like, that was so cool to me. I reckon that would just be the ultimate thing. It's not really work. You're just having fun with mates, yeah. getting rich. That's that would be my dream. I think I've had that too, had that dream too, but I, I can't play an instrument, so I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, I've just been like a roadie. You'd be that guy that just travels with the band anyway. Yeah, that's right. Just a burden. (laughs) Nice. Uh, Coming from James Churches, would you rather know how you die or when you die? I was thinking about this one today. Um, And we sort of agreed on how you die. 
and then you just try and avoid that for your whole life, and then you might go crazy. But <laughs> that's stressful as shit. <laughs> yeah, but then if you know when you if you know when you're gonna die, I don't know. It'd be it'd be shit if you got told you're gonna die in like two years. That'd be shit. Yeah. But if you got if you knew you were gonna die at the age of like eighty, it probably wouldn't be so hard. You'd try and make sure you fit yeah. in everything you want to do in life. I don't know. That's a hard one. Yeah. So I came up with the idea. I will do the, My thought process was uh, I'd rather know when. Yep. Because if I knew how, and like you said, like, okay, I'll just avoid that thing. But but it's still going to happen. Chances are you or I are probably going to die in a car, right? Yeah. <laughs> we're in the cars. It's a pretty high probability. So Actually, now we're going to yeah. avoid getting into cars. Now that you mention it, I I think I already know how I'm going to die. If you, if you read the tin of bog, it literally says <laughs> causes cancer. I uh, gotcha. I'm not joking. It says if you read the fine print on a tin of bog, it says, um, what's the word? Like will will break down your organs. Like pretty oh, much says wow. your this will make your organs fail. This will kill you. Wow. And that's just bog. Like so. Sanding dust, primer, paint, yep. fumes. It's all probably going to be similar. Oh, well, there you go. And I'm just so, breathing it every day. So you know, just avoid that stuff and you'll be fine. Yeah. So, I'll, um, <laughs> so yeah, it's not how it is when. It'll happen at some stage. <laughs> nice. Um, so with that, mate, it's your turn to give us a question for future guests. This is really hard. I, um, I had a really R-rated one, but I probably shouldn't. Say that one. You can. My panel beta thought it was funny, and he said to say it, but no, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> um, I don't know. What advice would you give your ten year old self? I think that's a a nice deep question. I like that. Yeah, I like it. Nice, mate. Um, have there been any words of advice you've received, or, or um, words of wisdom that someone's told you that kind of stay with you? I had to think about this one today and I remembered um, back when I played guitar, there was a famous guitarist that I just idolised um, and he said on a YouTube lesson, if you can't do something s- slow, you can't do it fast. And that made a lot of sense with um, trying to learn how to do a guitar solo. You can't do it fast if you can't even do it slow. So basically slow down, get good at it, slow and then it will be easier to do it fast and i sort of it applies to a lot of other stuff in life i think so absolutely just makes you think like don't try and jump in the deep end and be a professional at something when you haven't even learned how the the basics yeah like try and do something slow and get really bloody good at it slow and then it will be easier to be good at it fast i think it's always stuck with me that yeah nice i like that let it let everybody know where they can find you, mate. Yep, um, Rise Up Restorations on Instagram, Facebook. Um, that's it. One day I'll do a YouTube. Everyone keeps telling me to. Um, but yeah, that's it. Nice and simple. Or come and see me in Corowa and try and find me. I don't have any signs or anything. I'm hidden. <laughs> oh, secret. Like yeah, it. it's good. Awesome, mate. Thank you so much for joining me. It's been a pleasure. No worries. Thanks for having me. No worries, mate. Cheers.
Well, that's it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope to have you tune in again next week. Don't forget to head over and follow Gutter to Gutter on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok by searching for Gutter to Gutter Podcast. You can also find us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash gutter to gutter podcast and be sure to check out a new website at gutter to gutter podcast.com i'd really appreciate it if you could share the podcast with a friend and even consider leaving a review on your podcast platform of choice i look forward to bringing you more next week so please have a great week and look after each other